Hello, everyone. Welcome to Alligator Preserves. I'm your host, Laurel McCarg, and today I have a return guest, Sarah Lynn Richard. So stick around. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Sarah Lynn, it's been three years since I last spoke to you. The last time I interviewed you, I lived in Leadville. So that was over three years ago. And and for those of you uh, just listening, Sarah Lynn Richard is quite the prolific author of many really fun, wonderful books. And three years ago, I interviewed you on your book, Murder in the 1%, which I absolutely loved. And I'm going to have a link to this um, <laughs> right below after this interview. So girl, what you've been doing in the past three years since Murder in the 1%? Well, I think we were living in a time warp courtesy of COVID, uh, which has changed us in many ways that uh, I think probably aren't all apparent at this point. I think some of the ways that we've changed are just evolving and starting to come to surface. So I'm in shock that it's been three years because it seems like a few months ago that we were on alligator preserves together. Um, and I've been busy writing. COVID was a, a good opportunity for me to devote myself completely to my writing. And it did a number of things for me, including taking me out of my element and putting me in a different world with a different character uh, without COVID being present. And uh, it was a nice retreat for me during that time. Well, that was going to be my first question was going to be how have you and how has your writing perhaps changed over the past three years? Well, the whole writing process and, and publishing and marketing process was deeply shaken, I think, by COVID. When it first set in, I had a palette for love and murder ready to launch. And I had many, many events scheduled and um, in-person events that one by one had to be canceled because of the pandemic. So that book, I think, just never really got its due because we were also in shock over this paradigm shift in our lives. And um, so that was what happened with A Palette for Love and Murder. And since that time, I've published A Murder of Principle, which also came out during COVID. And, uh, but by that time, we were doing a lot of virtual events so it got a lot more play, I think, than A Palette for Love and Murder. And then the book that I was writing is Bad Blood Sisters. That's, that's this book. And, um, and I think that my writing life really changed for the better because of COVID. 
uh, because because you were forced to sit at your desk? Because I didn't have as many distractions. You know, I had long spans of time where I could just go into the world of bad blood sisters and live there. And I didn't have to reread what I had written the day before. It was still fresh in my mind. So I I was sort of living that book in real time. And that's something that I'd never been able to do before. So three years ago, you said that you love all aspects of the writing and publishing process. Do you still feel the same? I do. I do. Even when they change, even though they've changed. And I think we have to constantly be changing with the times. And when when a circumstance changes, we have to be flexible and change with it. But still, it's fun. And I think part of my fun is that I've been, this has been a dream deferred for me. I've wanted to write my whole life long, and I didn't get around to it until 2013. So for me, it's just such an exciting, wonderful, new experience. Um, 2013 still seems new to me. So I've I've had a great time doing every part of it. I like the research. I like talking to people about things that are in the book. I like the learning because I'm learning with every book too. I like the practice of writing and and developing my craft each time. Um, I like talking about my books. I like it just every aspect of writing is just really fun. Yay. Well, last we spoke, you talked about making character charts for your characters, because my question for Murder in the 1% was that how do you keep track of all your characters? You have so many. And now in Bad Blood Sisters, you still have a lot of characters, not quite so many as in as in Murder in the 1%. But did you, uh, did you, did you do character charts the same, or how did you keep track of your characters in this book? Well, uh, Bad Blood Sisters is different from all my other books in one significant way. And that is that the whole book is told from Quinn's point of view. Quinn is a 30-year-old, almost 30-year-old woman whose um, life has been scarred by a betrayal that happened 15 years ago. And she works in her family business, which is a mortuary. And she's kind of hidden from life there. And so this book is kind of a a day of reckoning for her. And it's uh, a time where she is forced to confront the past and to forge a future for herself. And so the entire book is told from her point of view. And what that meant as a writer, that sometimes that's freeing and sometimes that's constraining. Mm -hmm. For example, she has to be in every single scene of the book. If she's not there, then the author, then the reader can't know what's going on because it's all happening through her eyes and ears. So um, because of that, I was so as a writer, I was so intensely in Quinn's 
mind and body that I didn't have to make a chart about her. You know, I, I knew everything about her. And then the other characters in their way of relating to her, I knew that too. So I really didn't have to make charts. And I think for the reader, and you can tell me this since you're the reader, um, I, I think it's, I, I think you don't feel the need to keep characters straight either. No, no, that, they were all very unique. They all had their own voice. They all had their own mannerisms, which, you know, makes it easy. They all had easy names to remember. <laughs> um, and you and you are in Quinn's point of view, too. Right. So, it, you know, I just think that the need for charts wasn't there at this time. You t- you totally draw a reader in to what she's experiencing, which makes it extraordinarily exciting. So you chose the family business to be a, a mortuary, and and she was doing mortician's work. Um, I I love when her father talks about coping mechanisms and how you remember when mom you know used to pretend she was putting together a turkey dinner, <laughs> dressing something up, uh, which is fascinating. What gave you the the idea of a of that? line of work for the family? Well, I write mysteries. And in mysteries, often you have characters who die and they need death services. They need funerals. They need funeral homes. They need to be embalmed. They need to be prepared for burial. And so I have actually interviewed and met many, many morticians and funeral home directors in my research for my other books. And I've always been fascinated by their attitudes toward death because they actually make their living from people's deaths. Mm -hmm. And so they're exposed to death every day. And, you know, it's a, a kind of a taboo topic. For the general population, we don't want to think about what goes on behind the doors of a funeral home. But um, these people live it every single day and they have to have coping mechanisms and they have to have thoughts about death that are unique. And so I've asked them, what is this like? And some of them have told me some very profound answers, uh, one of which is that uh Death jokes abound in that in that profession. A lot of times they make jokes out of things related to death because that too is a coping mechanism. Um, they don't joke about it in front of the bereaved, of course, right, right. because that's not professional. But making light of a, a difficult subject is one way to cope with it. So um, I I also think that sometimes these people get a bad rap because of what they do, like their profession isn't totally respected, and yet they are much needed. We, our society depends on the people who work in death services. So I think I wanted to shine a light on that profession and, um, it, and it fits perfectly with a murder mystery. One of the stories that one of the people told me is that when she works on bodies 
and she leaves the funeral home and she goes outside into the bright sunlight. She feels like a, a new rejuvenated person. She feels more alive when she comes out after, after preparing a body and taking care of that body is, and knowing that that's the last gift that that person will receive. She goes outside and she feels renewed. And that really touched me. And I thought maybe I can bring that to life in my book. You you did, and here's here's a really personal question. You don't have to answer it, and it's not one that I had written down. But along these lines, did your research with these remarkable people uh, influence what you might want done at some point? Um, I wouldn't say influence because I don't think my wishes have changed as a result of writing the book or doing the research, but my respect for the entire process is heightened. I I just feel like the people who work in this industry are sensitive people. They're careful and caring and loving people. They have a lot of respect for the bodies. I mean, they could go in and do anything because the person is dead and and not going to feel anything, not going to react to anything. They could go in and treat the body in, in any way that they wanted, but they don't because they, they view this as a sacred um, moment in the person's life. And they want to, they want the person to be treated with the utmost of care and respect that's good to know. You do a lot of research. So obviously <laughs> you researched, you know, the life of a mortician. Uh, your police research continued. Obviously you've done some before. Did you do any, did you, any new discoveries in your research with police officers? Or then you got karate thrown in there. I mean, you've, you've done a lot of research <laughs> for this book. You don't think I'm a black belt? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past you, Sarah Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and I love the research. I do have a policeman who is a very dear friend, and every time I write a book, he's, he promises he'll be there for me whenever I need him, and he is. You know, I can send him a text almost any time of the day or night and know that I'll get an answer from him, you know, timely, as soon as he can get to it. So uh, I'm grateful for that. And one time I, I got a phone call from the, the uh, chief of police at the West Brandywine Police Department in Brandywine Valley, which is Detective Parrott's home. You know, that's where he works. Right. From the, and from and the so I was in shock. I picked up the phone and he said, this is the chief of police at the West Brandywine <laughs> Um, police department and I thought oh my god they're going to sue me (laughs) I was like what what would he be calling me for and and I said well it's nice to meet you and how can I help you and he said well I heard that you've been writing about us 
And I said, yes, I have. I have a detective and he works for your department. And he said, well, I just wanted to know, have you researched what you've been writing with any of our officers? And I said that I had, and I told him what kinds of research I'd done. And he said, well, have you found our officers to be friendly and cooperative and forthcoming? And I said, yes, they have. And he said, that's all I wanted to know. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty awesome. He didn't say, can I be in your next book? (laughs) No, I, I said to him, would you like me to acknowledge you in my next book? And he said, no. I'm glad that everyone has been cooperative because I think that's really important. It's part of what we do. Were any of your characters in Bad Blood Sisters based on real people? Um, I would say that all of my characters in all of my books have some basis in at least me. I I think I'm, I'm in all of them a little bit. But none of my characters are, you know, straight out copies of real life people because it's fiction and, you know. People are embellished. Yeah. Characteristics. We all have interesting friends, don't we? Yeah. A lot of people like to, a lot of readers like to try to find themselves, especially if they know me or they worked with me or something, they try to find themselves in my books and they might find a few things that are you know, stories that are kind of like stories that really happened. Or sometimes I name my characters after real people. And that's, I did that in Bad Blood Sisters. The attorney that David Becker, Quinn's attorney, Mm -hmm. is actually David Becker is a law school professor that I know and love. And I just wanted to honor him by naming the attorney after him. Nice. Did you know who done it from the beginning? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I always do. Uh, When I write my books, even though I don't outline, I do have a beginning, middle, and end. And anything in between those can shift and change as I write. Um. If something occurs to me, I like to be flexible enough to change my mind. Uh, But the beginning, middle, and end are pretty much fixed in my mind before I start to write. So, yes, I knew. All right. And how long did you have to mull all these things before you started writing? Like when you get an idea, does the idea just come to you and you start writing right away? Or do you take a long time to mull things? It's, I wouldn't say it takes a long time, but I do do a lot of thinking before I write. And, and I think everyone does. As an educator, I learned that writing is the most complicated task that your brain ever has to perform. And the reason is that before you can write, you have to conceive of an idea. You have to put it into words. You have to organize how how you're going to say it, and then you have to actually write. So it's complicated thinking that is required for any kind of writing. And when I'm starting a book, 
I'm always thinking about the character, the main character. And I'll spend some time thinking about, in this case, Quinn, and really like getting into her psyche. But I wouldn't call it a long time. Okay. I'd, I'd start writing pretty soon after I have her her conflict and her problems in, and, in mind. And again, when the, the whole part of putting it together is including all the little things that are lovely to read. Um, your your attention to detail, sensory detail, I just love it. There, there are just a, a couple of things I wanted to point point out here, talking about um, a restaurant. There was enough conversation in the room to make it seem festive, but not so much as to drown out one's thinking. And the aromas of fresh baked bread and charcoal grilled steaks were heavenly. You know, I'm there. And of course, in the uh, police interview room, the room smelled stuffy, like worn gym socks left in a locker too long. I mean... Ew, it, it made my nose cringe when I read that. So <laughs> your inclusion of these really important details to bring the reader along and to be with her and to smell the things and see the things and feel the things, the sensory elements, you do a beautiful job with that. I just, I love it. Is there a section you might want to read uh, from your book to give listeners a feel for your writing? Sure. I'll read this section from the beginning of the book. Okay. I've told you about Quinn and, and the fact that she's sheltered herself from life because of this betrayal. Um, do we want to talk about the betrayal? Do we want to tell people what the betrayal no. was? No. No. Nope. <laughs> Got to read it. And I've told you that she works in her family business. and But I, w- I didn't tell you that her brother has just been called in for a long-awaited kidney transplant. So that that's where this selection comes from. Quinn lay on her back, eyes closed, imagining a sort of prayer for her brother. Jack was still young, just 34, and she would soon be 30. Too young to have to deal with kidney failure and organ transplant. Not for the first time, Quinn considered how time seemed to speed by these days. If Jack's life, or even hers, were to end now, what imprint would each of them have left on the world? Neither of them married, no children, and except for working in death services, what had either of them accomplished? Quinn had told her second grade teacher She was going to be a doctor. Even at age seven, she'd wanted to work on the living side of things. What had changed her mind, she wondered now. How had all her aspirations evaporated into the salty Gulf Coast air? Quinn's thoughts drifted into the past, colorful threads of of memories. Her last thought before she fell into a troubled sleep was of the summer of 05. Now she remembered how she'd gone off course. That was the summer she'd been totally absorbed 
by Anna French. Indeed. And as I'm holding up the book here, showing everyone your cover, Bad Blood Sisters, I love the play on words here. You know, you've got the bad blood and you've got the blood sisters. You've got the bad blood sisters. It's it's so perfect. Did you have the title right away? Well, I had blood sisters because Anna and Quinn do this blood sister ritual where they prick their fingers and they mix their blood, promise to be BFFs forever. And that relationship is very, very intense and strong for a lot of years, but it goes bad. Mm-hmm. And so I had all along my working title was Blood Sisters. But then when I thought about it, when it was time to actually, you know, put the title in, um, I thought, you know, they're not just blood sisters, they're bad blood sisters. So that's, that's how the title got changed. It's so perfect. I, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm going to give listeners a, um, an, an analogy, uh, like a false summit analogy for anyone out there who climbs, who climbs mountains and, you know, you're climbing and you're climbing and it's, it's tough and you're, you're getting there and you see the summit and you get there and you know that you've made it only to discover that it continues and you're on the false summit. Your writing does that. It leads us the whole time, of course, where we're thinking that it could be anyone, right? And and that's, you have a gift for that where every, all along as I'm reading and I'm seeing these different relationships and I'm seeing how wonderful, there's always a but, you know, in the back of my mind, but could it be? him? Could it be her? Could it be? And so you keep doing that. And then there's a a marvelous kind of climactic moment where I, where I think, aha. And then of course, no, no, wasn't it. (laughs) So well, well done on that. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. So, okay. You talked before about the fact that you don't like outlining, you don't outline your books. You like the spontaneity and but with all the sub stories you have going on in this book, you've got the, the murder, you've got the boyfriend, you've got the brother in need of a kidney, you've got the surgeon relationship, you've got the doting parents, and of course the backstory of the bad blood sisters. You had to have done some kind of planning for all those store all those subplots to make sense along the way. Well, isn't real life complicated like that if you think about it think about your own life mm. and all the many things that are going on in your life at any given time uh your life is not just a linear movement from you know today i do this tomorrow i do this you know your life is complicated and it has its own subplots mm. going on so uh, your relationship with your parents might be one of them. Your relationship with your children might be one of them. Your uh, living situation with your home might be one of them. Your pets, all of these things, your friends, um, your job, all of these things are all happening synergistically at one time. So writing a book is no different from that. It's just if you're if you're in the mind of your character, 
you've just got all these things going on. You can keep track of them without making an outline. If you have the gift that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I I would have to have, I think I would have to have charts. And I'm a pantser. I'm a pantser by nature. I don't like planning. I don't like outlines. But at some point, I with the, the number of characters you have, I, I would need to keep track. The reason that I resist doing outlines, and I have to say, I'm a super organized person. I have an organized closet. I have an organized calendar. When I was a school administrator, I was, you know, outline, 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 lists of to-do things. And, you know, I was that kind of person, and I still am. But when I write, for some reason, I think it's the right brain kicking in. I like to I like to be open and I like to have the option of including something that might just occur to me at the last moment, because some of my best writing comes from that. And some of my not so wonderful writing is from being pat down pat, you know, I, I think I'm a better writer if I don't outline. Were there any big surprises while you were writing this one? In the, in there the were a few. Book? There were a few. And, and I contend, I teach creative writing. And I say this to my students all the time. If you're having fun when you're writing, then your readers are going to have fun when they're reading. If, you, if you're dr- in the drudge mode, your readers are going to feel that too. And they're going to feel the drudgery. Whatever spirit you have about writing is going to come through. Even if it's not in your words, exactly. The spirit comes through in the writing. And so if you're, if you're too methodical, I don't like to read books that are too methodical. I like to read books that are more passionate and, feeling, you know, emotional and, you know, tap into people's fears and thoughts and that kind of thing. All the emotions. I mean, if if you can make yourself laugh or cry or get angry while you're writing, then the reader will probably feel that You can do the same to the reader. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Are there any lessons that you would want readers to take from from Bad Blood Sisters? Anything you would want them to walk away with to change them in any way? You mentioned the idea of the giving respect to the morticians. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's one. But um, Quinn, Quinn's journey in this book is to me, a hugely important lesson for young women because she has to find herself and she's late in doing that. Uh, Most young women go through an identity crisis or an identity phase when they're in their late teens. And Quinn didn't do this. And uh, because of what happened to her when she was in her late teens, she's, she's sort of late in, coming to this reckoning of what she, who she is, where she is, what she wants her, the rest of her life to be like. 
And so I think that that should be a takeaway that the reader should get is that it's never too late. It's never too late to find yourself, to find what you believe in, to stick up for yourself, to take charge of your life, to be independent and grow and speak up, say what you need, get what you need. I think that's an important lesson for everyone. Reconsider secrets you've kept. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, what's next? Well, next is uh, the next book in the Detective Parrot series. All right. So Murder in the 1% and A Palette for Love and Murder are not on the market right now. They are, they've, I've gotten the rights back for those books and they are not, you can't get them right now. Ooh. So I'm getting ready. <laughs> I'm getting ready to, to reissue those books and put out the next book in the series, which is called crystal blue murder. Okay. And it's back in Brandywine Valley where that nice police chief works. And, um, and where Detective Parrot still works. And um, this time he's facing a meth lab explosion. Oh, boy. New publishing company? Yes. yes. Are you going with, are you going with Encircle? Or uh, you, yes. You, okay. All right. Shout out to anyone who helped, and obviously, Encircle Publications. Anyone um, else you want to give a shout out to? Uh, shout out to everyone who helped for Bad Blood Sisters, um, which includes funeral home people. I've got quite a few of them. And one of them is Jay Carnes, who runs a funeral home here in this area. Oh, by the way, that book is set where I live. And that's the first time I've written a book that's set where I live, which is Galveston, Texas. It's an okay. island on the Gulf Coast. And so it's a particular thrill to write about your hometown and, you know, the sights and sounds and smells and, and the people. And Jay Carnes is a very dear friend and he owns several funeral homes in this area. And he's been so excited and helpful about this book because, you know, there aren't too many books that are written about people in mortuaries. And so at the launch party, he gave me, I wish I could show it right now, but he gave me a door prize to give out, which is a, a miniature coffin that has all the details of a coffin. I mean, the inside is satin with all the stitching and it is just a, a perfect miniature coffin, but it's also a wine caddy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that was, that was the major door prize for the launch party. Would you send me a photo of that? I will. I will. It, it's was, just precious. It, how many how many phone calls have you gotten from from people around where you live about this book? Oh, lots. <laughs> lots. And and it, and they're having a good time with it too. In fact, one book club actually took a tour of Carnes Funeral Home. And as part of their book club, they read, they discussed the book in the parlor. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. 
It's well, fun. Sarah Lynn, how can people find out more about you? I have a website that is sarahlynrichard.com. Of course, Sarah Lynn is S-A-R-A-L-Y-N. Richard is R-I-C-H-A-R-D. No S. No S. SarahLynnRichard.com. And if that's too hard, uh, you can also get there by MurderInThe1%.com. So you can find out more about everything about me there and also sign up for my newsletter, which comes out monthly and has lots of fun opportunities for interaction and surveys and contributions. A lot of people get into my book through my newsletter. Okay. For example, this this month I asked, what does Parrot eat? Send me your suggestions for what he eats and, and recipes. And the best one will go in the next book. Oh, so, and, and make so, it as sensorily uh, descriptive as you can, because that's so what you do, I, right? I've had some wonderful, wonderful responses to that. When does when's the deadline for that? Um, that was last month, but I'll have more. <laughs> I'll have more. Uh, that sounds like fun. That sounds. We like also great fun. had a, a local Elks Club had an auction for a person to get their name into my next book, and it was a fundraiser for them, and they got a lot of money, and I got a new fan, so it worked you, out great. You want to share the name? Yes, Tammy Caballero. Oh, will you use her whole name? Yes, I will. Caballero. Yes, I will. Isn't that, isn't that cowboy? It is. Ah, it is. I love it. That's wonderful. Yeah, she's well, so excited that she's going to be in a book and that her family name is going to be in a book. That's fabulous. You will send me some links and photos that you want me to put on my website in a blog uh, so you can find out more. I will have links and photos on my site at leadvillelaurel.com or laurelmccarg.com, however you want to find me. Uh, Sarah Lynn Richard, can I say that you make murder mysteries fun? <laughs> That's quite a compliment. That's my goal. So thank you. You absolutely do. And I will look forward to your next book. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners out there? Just keep reading. It, it's a wonderful adventure. And it's a wonderful life when you keep reading. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah Lynn. And let's not wait three years uh, between visits. All we right? won't. Okay. Thanks, Laurel. Thanks so you much and, for having me. And thank you. This was delightful, as always. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. Amazon.com.